just want to let you know that the links for everything are down below to my guest and to the Serpents and Doves website. I want to encourage everybody to check those out. Also, if you can, remember to subscribe, to like, and to share the videos. And if you feel led to help support the work that I'm doing to come alongside it, whether with a single or a monthly recurring donation, you can do so by clicking in the link below. And I hope you guys enjoy. Let's get to it. What is going on, family? Okay, we are back for part two. Part two with, uh, again, strapping young man right here. Uh, we have got Jerry Robinson. By the way, Jerry, I'm going to bring both of us up. That is a cool name, Robinson. I mean, it's, I know, I, I'm sure you've gotten this a million times, but you you seem like you should be more of a uh, motivational speaker, right, of that <laughs> name. And you've got the voice. I, you know what? I was going to say that in the first uh, podcast. You've got that, uh, the podcasting radio voice. Has anyone ever told you that? Because you really do. I've heard I have a face for radio. I don't know what that means, but no. No, you, you've got it both, man. You got the whole package, man. No, no, no. You got the face and that. you've got... Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. Now, again, thank you so much for doing part two. I'm excited because today, folks, family, we are going to be talking about cryptocurrency and CBDCs. And don't panic because things aren't going to go crazy. All right. So um, listen, before we get started, I want to tell everybody, if you missed part one, I would encourage you go check part one because um, Jerry goes through his websites. Yes, websites. There's a couple of them. There's a lot of free resources. He goes through one of those. But before we get cracking, Jerry, what I'd love to do is just really quick, briefly, tell us about this book. Uh, it is fabulous. Mm -hmm. If you don't mind, spend a couple minutes talking about it, and then we'll get cracking. You bet. Bankruptcy of Our Nation is uh, a comprehensive book that really explains the problems that are facing America's economy. Now, many people think they know what the problems are. They say, well, they're spending too much money or they, or, or you know, the national debt's too high. Well, those are symptoms of the problem, but not the real problem. We have real fundamental foundational problems. And we go into great detail to discuss those in the first half of the book. Fortunately, we don't dwell entirely just on the problem. We spend the last half of the book getting into solutions and not solutions for government because we're not, we don't think they're going to listen to anything we say. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to give solutions to the individual reader. So there's, this book is jam packed, as you well know, Pablo, with, yep. with lots of solutions, uh, things that you can do, uh, personal things, personal steps you can take are five levels of financial freedom, how to break free financially, uh, 21 different income streams that you can create both now and in retirement. Many people, the biggest problem they have is they don't have enough income. Uh, others, they have enough income, but they don't save enough. Uh, others, uh, they have all that fine, but they don't invest. So they're never really getting ahead of the curve. So no matter where you are in your financial walk, uh, this book is designed to really help you understand what's really going on, but then also to then have real strategies that you can apply in your own life that'll help you weather the storm, but not just that, thrive. And, uh, and we've seen a lot of people helped by this book. And then, of course, our website, followthemoney.com, is a great place to go to yep. follow up. We have free podcasts there and all kinds of uh, materials there that you can check out. 
And for those who want to go even deeper and say, I really want to get a you know intense financial education. I really want to do this. Well, we have uh, our own investing and trading club. So you can just click on the plans and pricing and become a part of our global community. We have we have thousands of members all over the world, and we'd love to have you uh, be a part of our membership, be a part of our community, and we're here to help. So if you have financial questions, financial concerns, and you want a community of people who are like-minded, who want to help you succeed, you found it. Followthemoney.com. Yeah. It's, and, if, and, if it's, you want, and the book, Bankruptcy of Our Nation, is a great place to start. Absolutely. I got that book back when it originally came out. Now it's been revised and expanded. And uh, family, it's a great book. Great, great book. So Jerry, let's get cracking, shall we? Let's do this. Um, listen, I want to spend time right now in part two, just uh, strictly talking about cryptocurrencies and CBDCs. So uh, we're going to take the next 40, 45 minutes and just dive into that. Now, you mentioned in part one how as you were thinking about the book and formulating the book in your mind, you were writing it. There was somebody else. We still don't have a face to the name, right? But there was somebody else thinking about something along the same lines, but using different methods and different means. You were doing a book. Talk to us about what this other person was doing and tell us a bit about um, what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, back in when I was writing this book back in 2007, 2000, and I was trying to get it published in 2008. Uh, during that same time, there was an individual who had kind of a, sa a similar obsession, uh, kind of a similar goal, similar plan, except instead of writing a book and trying to help people, you know, in the church, uh, he was he was trying to create a new uh, monetary system that would counteract all of the negative uh, uh all the negatives in our own monetary system with the dollar and that was a guy by the name it's his uh it's his uh pen name i guess satoshi nakamoto this is the inventor is that, of is that his alter ego i believe so i don't know, who, <laughs> you know i don't know if it's a real name or if it's a fake name but that's the name uh and that's bitcoin so when you go back and read the Bitcoin white paper, the actual paper that launched Bitcoin, you begin to read it, you begin to understand that this particular project was launched because it was understood that we had too much inflation and that governments were going to keep spending too much money and continue continually devaluing the, the uh, currencies. And so Bitcoin was designed in such a way where you couldn't print, that there was no single point of failure, that there was no uh, centralized authority that could control it. There's no CEO for Bitcoin, for example. You can't call the CEO of Bitcoin in to testify before the Senate. You know, it is a it is a completely decentralized project that has a finite supply. I learned about Bitcoin. I was very fortunate to learn about Bitcoin in 2012 from a, actually 2011. And originally, I didn't buy until 2012. But but uh, it was a friend of mine named Trace Mayer. Uh, he came on our podcast, the Follow the Money podcast, followthemoney.com. And you can go back and listen to those early episodes where we had him on, you know, a decade ago. And he was explaining what Bitcoin was. I didn't know what it was. He had read the white paper. He had become an investor. I began exploring it myself. I began sharing it with our podcast audience. And at the time, Bitcoin was trading for less than $25. I mean, I remember it was like 17 bucks. Uh, and we began talking about that and slowly but surely we began to see it kind of take off. Many people 
and because we were because we adopted Bitcoin and because we began buying Bitcoin so early and began talking about it, it kind of became old news to us. But for many people, Bitcoin is something that they still haven't really dealt with. They still maybe have never bought one. Yeah. They're not familiar with what it is. It seems a little sneaky. Uh, it seems a little strange. Uh, they're not sure. But we're, we're slowly seeing more and more people come on line and say, okay, I, I, I think I understand what this is. And really what it is, is when we had talked before in part one about the crate of golf balls that inflated yep. the supply of currency on the island. Well, Bitcoin solves that by uh, hardwiring into the protocol a maximum of 21 million Bitcoin. So that means that no one can go in and print more Bitcoin to dilute the value of all the other existing Bitcoin. Correct. So there's only 21 million. And this is such an unusual kind of concept in our era where we have everything printed at will. Uh, and we can always make more is what we're told. But in the case of Bitcoin, that's not true. Uh, you only have 21 million. And while that may sound like a lot, uh, you know, you may think in terms of uh, you know, like, think about, for example, like Visa. Uh, Visa is a stock. Everybody, everybody sort of Visa, they all have Visa in their pocket. Uh, well, Visa, if, if you go and you look at the number of shares that are available uh, for Visa, it's around 3 billion shares. Well, that's a lot of shares. But when you think about it, you say, well, how many Bitcoin are there? There's only 21 million. Ah, so you're dealing, and by the way, Visa could decide, it's not going to, I don't think, but they could always decide to issue more shares. So everybody who owns a share of Visa would then, if, if they issued more shares, well, then your shares would become a little less valuable because there's sure. more shares in existence. Well, Correct. that's not something that can happen. So that can happen in stocks. It can happen in governments, but it can't happen in Bitcoin. It can't happen in this type of protocol. So that's what he was that's what he was dealing with that's the solution that he provided and we've seen it slowly but surely take hold of the imagination not just here in the united states but globally people are beginning to realize that there could be a solution in a finite uh type of currency and so many people who are waking up to the reality of fiat currency they're waking up to the reality of fractional reserve banking and all of the you know modern monetary uh, you know, mechanics, they're realizing that they need to find other assets that are finite. This is why you're seeing people look for gold. Uh, sure. they're, you're seeing more of a rise in pop, pop, popularity of gold, but especially Bitcoin because of these same reasons. Okay. So um, let's talk really quick about, I want to do maybe a short deep dive in Bitcoin. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's a little difficult to understand when it's a decentralized, it's not even really a currency, right? Um, but it's decentralized. Nobody really controls it. There's no face to it. How um, how does Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency function? Now, I would mention FTX, but FTX is embroiled with issues and it tanked. But one thing that FTX did good was their, um, their Super Bowl commercial. Uh, don't be like Larry. If you guys want, go look up the commercial. Don't be like Larry. It is hilarious. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. That is the only thing FTX got right was that commercial, period. But it is a cryptocurrency. Now, Bitcoin is a type of crypto. There are others, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. But how does it function? I know that from my understanding, in order to have a crypto 
there is a lot of, it draws a lot of electrical power. It needs a lot of power, servers. How does this function? Because somebody might say, well, I invested in gold. I've actually got something physical to hold on to. But if I invest in Bitcoin or a crypto, I don't literally have anything physical to hold on to. So how would you dispel that? How can you break that down to manageable bite sizes so that we could understand how that works? Yeah. So the underlying technology of Bitcoin is something known as blockchain technology. Blockchain yep. technology. Blockchain is basically a global record of all of these different transactions. So it allows people to see all of the transactions in a in a public way. Um, now, the reason why we call them cryptocurrencies is because it, all of this is kind of created through a branch of of uh, uh, science and mathematics known as cryptography. So that's where the where this with this. In in essence, every single Bitcoin. Uh, every single person who deals with Bitcoin uses an uses a wallet. This is where we're going to get into CBDCs in a minute. Sure. And I, think, yep. I think CBDCs are going to create more demand for Bitcoin than anything else, which is why I'm somewhat, um, I wouldn't say excited about CBDCs because I'm not excited about them technically, but, but the knowledge that they're going to bring to people, I think is going to be very helpful for understanding other types of digital assets. Um, digital assets like Bitcoin are just a thing now. Uh, you have the Fortune 5. If you look at the Fortune 500 companies, you'll notice that all of them, practically all of them, are in some way, shape, or form dabbling in blockchain, if not outright completely having uh, their own departments focused upon blockchain. Blockchain technology is a revolutionary, innovative technology that is that brings transparency, or it can bring transparency, and it brings accountability. Well, this is one of the reasons why the why Washington is fearful of Bitcoin. And we knew early on when we understood what Bitcoin was, when you read the white paper, you realize this is not something that the governments are going to warm up to very quickly, because what it does is it makes everything transparent. Now, for a government, uh, especially a corrupt government, who likes yeah. to traffic in the dark and who likes to hide, you know, uh, you know, hide its actions. For example, our Pentagon here in the United States has never has. I don't think it's ever passed an audit. Okay. Yep. Now, if you put if you put everything the Pentagon does, all of the transactions on a blockchain, then you would be able to see the public would be able to see this is what's happening with the money that that is being extracted from the public and being used at the Pentagon. It's well, a right public now, ledger. It's a public ledger, right? And so triple entry bookkeeping. I mean, it's it's beyond any it's beyond anything that we've seen, uh, and it allows for transparency in a way that is very powerful. But this is something that the powers that be don't want. They like the idea of being able to keep things hidden. They don't want everybody knowing everything about where the money's going, and so they like to report what they want to report, but then not really let you see what's going on. And with the Pentagon, for example, one of the very best things we could do is put the Pentagon budget on a block on an open blockchain and say, guess yeah. what? Go right ahead, you know, and that yep. way we the American public could see how they're how they're spending the money. Uh, but again, they can't pass an audit. And and again, nobody seems to care about that, Pablo. It's it's very yep. sad. Uh, yeah. That's another that's another thing we could do to fix our economy is is hold the Pentagon accountable and say, look, 
you know, you have to tell us where trillions of dollars are that you claim that you can't find. So <laughs> yeah. it's a problem. It's a very big problem. But but Bitcoin, uh, I think it's very innovative. But I very early on, I saw the promise of it because I understood fiat currency. And I think the more you understand fiat currency, fractional reserve banking, the more you can understand what Bitcoin is trying to do, the, the more you understand the problems that it's trying to solve. I think it's a very powerful um, uh, technology that it's built upon. And I'll, I'll say this in conclusion on it. What our strategy from the very beginning was to take, to take Bitcoin and apply five cents of every investable dollar to that asset. So in other words, instead of, you know, many times you might be looking for financial advice and you go to social media and you'll see somebody who's like, I'm going all in, or, you know, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to buy, uh, I'm really going to go in deep on this. Okay, well, yeah. that, that's not really how we teach people to do things. But the way we've taught from 2012, we said, we're going to put a nickel of every available investment dollar into digital assets because it's a real asset class. Sure. Uh, just like there's stocks and just like there's real estate and just like there's commodities and just like there's precious metals and just like there's your own business. Well, there's also this thing called digital assets and it's a real thing. So companies are buying digital assets. They're getting involved in blockchain technology yep. and slowly but surely we're seeing the blossoming of this new asset class. So we said we're going to put 5% of our investable assets into digital assets like Bitcoin. And we began that, you know, over a decade ago. That's a really, that's a really conservative way to do it. But back when we started, it was very, it was considered to be aggressive. Today, yeah. five percent is probably considered conservative by some. But regardless, I think it's a very wise number. It gives us allocation to this burgeoning asset class without going quote unquote all into it. So if sure. Bitcoin way tomorrow i won't be living under a bridge you know but if yep. it continues to do well well that's going to be wonderful you know that'll be great news sure i, I yeah. for the average person out there they, they shouldn't think in terms of going all in uh, what we've always said is that you know and this of course is a, probably impossible for most people today but but back when we were first talking about bitcoin you know more than a decade ago we were like hey just go out and buy one you know they were they were selling for like 25 or you know 30 bucks or just go just go buy one see how it works you know learn the technology just get familiar with it see how it works well today you can't really go out and just go buy one bitcoin without you know sure. it's like buying a car or something like that. so it's it's a little more difficult but but we think that the price trajectory for bitcoin is going to continue going up that's for sure we believe okay that. now a digital asset too are you familiar with nsfs uh, nfts N and i'm sorry NSFs, NFTs. Thank NFTs, you very much. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. those are the art. They're the art pieces, right? Yes. Digital art pieces. Yes. Okay, what's your take on that, real quick? Well, I, I think it's a. I think the non fungible tokens are one of the most powerful technologies that have kind of emerged from all of this, and I think what's going to happen over time is that you're going to see the tokenization of the economy. What I mean by that is that right now you may you may go. Let's see, maybe the best way to think about this, this is a terrible illustration, but it just popped in my head and it may not be perfect, but it kind of gives an example. Most people sure. are familiar with Carfax. Yeah. Um, so if you go buy a car, you can get the Carfax data and you can see everything that ever happened to that car. Yeah. So you're able to know, now it's like, it's like, a, it's like a public ledger. So yeah. everything, everything is there. Now, now without Carfax, you wouldn't be empowered. You would just be kind of guessing. You wouldn't really be sure. 
Well, the same thing, that's similar. That's not a perfect example, but it's very similar to what a non-fungible token uh, can do or what a tokenization uh, maybe even more, more clearly can do is that you can tokenize assets so that people can know that they really have the asset that they think they have. Uh, and so we're going to see that blossoming as well. So NFTs, while I may not, you know, I may not go out and buy them for their, their art's sake, the, the underlying technology of NFTs is explosive and it's incredible, uh, yeah. especially as we begin to apply it to real world things. Uh, so, so there's a lot of exciting technology here, not just those, but oracles as well. It's helping many people in third world countries where before we weren't able to help uh, is easy now through blockchain technology. The world, it's becoming much more easier to help people. And I think this is, there's so many different possibilities uh, in this space. But, but again, uh, so many times people will view uh, something like this and they'll say, well, I'm, I'm not going to do it at all or yeah. I'm, I'm going to go all in. And I, and I would say both of those are poor ways to look at it. Uh, sure. the, the, the right way to look at it is to say, I want to learn more about this asset class because it's not going away and I'm not going to go all in. I'm just going to do like, you know, one or two or three or four or five percent. That's yeah. how the, that's how the smart corporations are doing it now. They're taking a part of their treasury, like five percent, and they're putting it into digital assets, keeping the rest in dollars. But they're just getting exposure. I think most people need exposure to this asset class. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, to just even if it's just one percent, just so they have an understanding of what's happening. Okay, so which begs the next question. Let's dive yeah. into right now, because again, there are different cryptos, but let's talk about the the whole notion of central bank digital currencies, because I think that's on a lot of people's minds. Mm -hmm. I know I get a, a lot of people that write in, and um, you know they're they're concerned. Uh, they yeah. hear a lot of talk of ooh, the dollar's going to tank. We're going to go to a CBDC tomorrow, and you're going to be living under a bridge by next week. And so there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of fear, and I can understand, you know, when we could, you know, we read scripture, we read the end times, we, we, um, we associate these things, but there's still a lot of groundwork that has to be laid. So what I'd like to do right now is just quickly do, and again, we're going to run out of time quick, which is fine, but talk to us about this whole notion of why now a central bank digital currency um, obviously, we know that there is a lot of control factor there. There's traceability to every transaction. The government can pretty much do whatever it wants with a central bank digital currency. So there's, in my estimation, there's less accountability in a government with a CBDC. But if, if you think otherwise, I would love to hear your take on a CBDC. And then after we're done with that, let's just take a quick, um, as we're talking about that, I want to talk about Fed now. And, uh, you know, the other uh, the other DCMA, um, supposedly the one that's it's not a digital currency, but it acts as a digital currency. And I want to get your take on that as well. So let's start with the CBDCs. OK, yeah. So the CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, is what it stands for. And really what it is, is it's simply a digital version of a country's fiat currency. Um, it, it, it's controlled by the central bank in the same way. It's issued by the central bank the same way. Uh, the CBDC, uh, in some ways is a monetary policy maker's dream because 
right now it's difficult for say the federal reserve to get people to do things that they want them to do with the money so as to maybe affect the economy in some way without using you know extreme measures so you know they may have to raise interest rates you know five six seven percent or whatever when they're doing something trying to tighten the money supply or or, or whatever uh cbdc's allow allow policymakers to have a more instantaneous way to impact the economy in in a good way you know it, from their minds in, in other sure. words to, to enact policy uh cbdc's i i don't think are a good idea i i i think they're a negative idea because they are a spur of the moment idea uh it's important to realize that central bank digital currencies were not a thing uh prior to bitcoin uh even though there were some people who were talking about it on the very fringes it was never something that we would see today where like 114 different countries sure. you know are currently you know exploring a cbdc we have 11 countries right now that have cbdc i mean where did all this come from it goes yeah. back to the bitcoin white paper uh governments weren't planning on issuing central bank digital currencies before the bitcoin white paper but the bitcoin white paper with bitcoin the advent of bitcoin it was so jarring the technology was so jarring that the governments had to decide what are we going to do here uh what are we going to do with this and so they are so they've been trying to figure it out so even here in the united states they they still don't really agree on what a on what bitcoin if bitcoin's a security or they pretty much say that it's not but they don't yeah. even really know how to define uh digital assets and cryptocurrency they're still up in the air it's not that they don't know what it is it's not that they're uh, not that they're confused about what's what's happening instead the government is trying to get ahead of what it sees as something that could really devastate uh the faith that people have in its currency because bitcoin is a currency that over time has gone up on average more than 100% per year if you just go back for yeah. the last you know many many years that it's been around on average bitcoin goes up more than 100% per year that's just that's just average and that there's no currency on earth that does that there's no you can't find a country that has a currency because all the currencies out there are being inflated away so they're going down in value so the governments are like, well, we got to do something here. Well, also the blockchain technology is very fascinating. They want to use this for good benefits and probably things that are not so uh, good. But yeah. the CBDC is something that can be used for the benefit of society and uh, it, it, according to the policymakers. And it will be something perhaps they're thinking might distract people from Bitcoin. Uh, and, sure. and in fact, we've even heard people say, well, when the CBDC comes, for example, when the US dollar issues their digital dollar, well, then no one will want Bitcoin anymore. Well, this is like the dream of Washington, but it's not, yeah. it's not at all true. Uh, the fact is, and this is why CBDCs I had mentioned earlier are an exciting development for Bitcoin investors, is because right now, Pablo, the average person doesn't know what a digital wallet is. They have no yeah. idea what this is. Uh, if you told them they needed to send Bitcoin from this address to this address, most people would have no clue what to do. They would have no clue what to do. Okay. Now, the, the thing is, is that when the digital dollar is eventually released, which we believe that it will, 
people are going to secure those dollars where? In digital wallets. So they're going to understand how all this works. So what the government is actually going to be doing is they're going to be educating the entire population on how to use digital currencies, i.e. the digital dollar. But when people all finally understand how that works, yeah. they're going to see, but the dollar is not the only digital currency. They're going to say, oh, but there's others, right? And sure. so they're going to see all of these others. And they're going to see, okay, the, do the digital dollar is going down by 3% in value every year. But these other currencies that are digital that I could also transact in are going up in value. Well, which one do I want to hold? Yeah. Okay, so, so the government is going to be doing the education for digital assets through the release of its CBDC, and it's going to be training the population how to use these things. But we believe that's going to be an enormous benefit for existing digital currencies today that are far superior to a digital dollar. Sure. So that's why we think that CBDCs are kind of a double-edged sword. On one hand, they do give the government more power than they should have. Uh, they really just kind of continue the dishonest type of false balance that we already have with the dollar. But on the other hand, they're going to be teaching people how to transact in digital assets. And that, we believe, is a plus. Uh, because they will then be able to, to not be fearful of using digital assets and they will find other digital assets that are more valuable and that will bring them more value in their portfolios over time. So, so would, yeah. let me ask you a question. Do you think that they would um, enact a digital currency and say you can't use the digital currency to buy a, another digital currency? Do you think that might be... I don't know. I'm thinking control because I think one of the reasons why the digital currency they want to enact that is it's easy to control a society based on a digital currency. Well, you know what? You can't buy that. You can't do this. If you do this, you get, you know, you get uh, um, benefits from it. Right. You get rewarded for it. But if you do this, then you can't. So I don't know. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. No, uh, I, I believe that the cat's out of the bag. Um, China has banned Bitcoin, I don't know how many times, and they failed. So if you have yeah. an authoritarian government, communist authoritarian government like China, that can't ban Bitcoin, then woe to Washington. Yeah. Uh, and so, so China has failed at it, and they, they've pretty much thrown their hands in the air and given up. The United States has never really banned Bitcoin. It's just tried to get ahead of it. It, it wasn't sure what to do with it. Uh, it, it got caught flat-footed. Yeah. So, so no, uh, if they do introduce a digital dollar, it's, it's, it, a, it will be keeping up with the Joneses. We already have other countries that are already moving into this, Yeah. but, but B, if they were going to ban Bitcoin, they would have already done it. Uh, they, they could have killed this thing early on if they wanted to, but in reality, they really couldn't have killed it. Sure. Because it's un it's unlike it's unlike almost anything we've ever had. And the fact that, as you pointed out earlier, you say, "Well, that Bitcoin, I can't hold it in my hand." Well, yep. if you if you can't hold the Bitcoin in your hand, then the government can't grab your Bitcoin out of your hand. You see, in other yep. words, so in other words, it, it makes it very problematic uh, for the government to go and take your stuff. Like they might be able to come and take your gold, so to speak, but how sure. are they going to take the Bitcoin? You know, so in other words, that, that's a real big problem 
that the government can't figure out. So they're instead of instead of uh, banning it, which they know won't work, trying to try it, it didn't work. They're going to release their own digital currency, hoping that they're going to be able to compete and sure. distract. We don't think that's going to work. We think that all they're going to do is they'll obviously have success, but they're going to be educating people and perpetuating other digital assets as a result of their CBDC. Okay, let me ask you another question because uh, you know I'm thinking a lot of things as you're talking. We've got a set amount of Bitcoin. You said what, 21 million? Yes, and like it's, that? yes, and the amount that's available for trading is going down. I'd like to talk about that, but go right ahead. I'm sorry. That's where I was going. So let's just say, for example, at the inception of Bitcoin, you got 21 million, mm -hmm. and a lot of people are you know very uh, enthusiastic about this, and they buy them all up. Where does that put other people that might want to invest in a in Bitcoin or a crypto where there is no how does that work? Is that it? Once they're purchased up, they're purchased up, or let's say, hey, I'll sell it to you for X amount. Is that how that works when you talk about trading? I know you were gonna say something about that right now. Yeah. Well, let's let's uh, kind of break that apart. So so with Bitcoin, there's 21 million in existence. And yep problem is, is to go out and, and buy all of them would be very, very cost prohibitive. Now we see Wall Street's beginning to step in. Now, uh, last week, or the week before, it was earlier this month, BlackRock, which is the largest financial asset manager on earth, there's nobody yeah. bigger. Yeah, I know. Who uh, BlackRock is. Yeah, BlackRock is huge. They said, we want to start, they filed with the SEC for their own spot Bitcoin ETF, which means that they would be able to facilitate uh, trade with Bitcoin through an ETF. So people who have a 401k or an IRA would be able to go out and buy Bitcoin through this ETF instead of going to Coinbase or some other place and trying to figure out how to get the coin and then put it in a digital wallet. Many people don't know how that works still. So they say, well, I'll just buy the ETF and put it in my 401k. Okay, yeah. well, we have a precedent for this. We, we saw this back in 2006 when BlackRock showed up and said, we want to create an ETF for spot ETF for gold. What happened to the price of gold? Well, the price of gold began soaring in and yeah. from that point on because all of this fresh demand that didn't exist prior, because some people will say, I'm not going to go out and buy a brick of gold, but if I can buy it in an ETF through my 401k, I'll buy some gold. Okay. Well then not only did they, not only did people want to buy it, but then BlackRock had an incentive to sell it. So they started creating gold ETF commercials. Well, now BlackRock is selling gold through its ETF. Okay, so what I'm saying to you is, is that BlackRock has now similarly just now entered the black, the Bitcoin market. And it says, it's just filed a filing with the SEC saying, we want to sell Bitcoin through an ETF. Okay, so what that means is, is that Wall Street is now showing, then Fidelity did the same thing. They're doing the same thing. Invesco is doing the same thing. So all these different ETF issuers are showing up. Why? Well, they're showing up because they realize, I mean, BlackRock's not dumb. You know, they're, yeah. they're not they're not doing this because they think they're going to lose a bunch of money. They sure. don't they're, they're not doing this because they think Bitcoin's a fad. They're doing this because they know it's not going away and they want to be in front. So so now you have 13 years after the invention, here comes the institutions. We expected the institutional money to show up. And we've had 13 years to front run the institutions. Now here they come. So now they're going to come and they're going to start inflating the, the price of this asset.
by creating even more demand from people who won't go out and buy Bitcoin proper and hold it in a wallet, but they will buy Bitcoin through an ETF in their 401k or their IRA. Now, what's interesting is, is that every four years, Bitcoin goes through something called a halving process. So every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that's created through mining gets cut in half. So the inflation rate for Bitcoin is now on par with gold. It's about the same. With this next halving that occurs in April of 2004, or 2024, the inflation rate for Bitcoin, the new issuance of new Bitcoins into the market through mining will actually be lower than gold, be lower than gold. So we always know that gold had a pretty low inflation rate. Well, yeah. Bitcoin's going to have a lower inflation rate than gold. BlackRock knows this. They're getting ahead. They know their institutional friends want to want to have access to this. Yeah. So you have that. There, the other thing is, is that the amount of Bitcoin that's available for trading is actually going down. It's been going down since 2020, indicating that A, there's a demand for it that is higher than we've seen before, and B, the people who have it aren't willing to sell it. So you're, you're, ending, you're ending up here with a perfect storm where you have the amount of available Bitcoin that's available to trade and available yeah. to, to purchase by newcomers going down. And then you have Wall Street stepping in and saying, now we want to sell this. So, sure. so we, we've never been in a situation like this before where we have an asset that's finite, an inflation schedule that's going down, and then Wall Street stepping in saying, we want to open up this asset class to millions and millions and millions of people. And we want to advertise Bitcoin on, on you know, commercials. Mm. The, it, it, to, me, to me, this is a, a fantastic potential opportunity for people to get exposure to digital assets. I don't think that they should be afraid of digital assets. I think yeah. that they should understand that it's a new technology. We've seen many different innovative technologies through the years. When electricity was first introduced into people's homes, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, sure. many people said, "I'll never have that." You, you, obviously, you're going to fry yourself, and everybody in your house will, will fry. Okay, well, that didn't happen. Uh, yeah. Then, then when the car was invented, people said, "We're not going to get in a car. It's a death machine. I'd rather ride a horse." Okay, well, you know, now people would never ride a horse; they'd ride in cars. So, yeah. when you when you have innovative technologies, it's normal to be afraid of them. But, but we're suggesting that this is not something that we should be afraid of. In fact, it's something that is going to help us with the problems that we have now with our money because of its finite nature. Okay. Very cool. So, um, by the way, that was a great explanation. Uh, I'm going to jump over here because I want you to um, just, if you wouldn't mind... Um, dispelling some myths about what I'm going to show right now, which is the Fed now. Yeah. And um, so I'm going to come on over here. This is an article. It came out last year talking about Fed now, which is supposed to launch in July. But um, essentially what it says right here is that the Federal Reserve is on track to deliver an instant payment service called Fed now it's between May and July. We know it's going to launch in July of 2023. Now, why am I bringing this up? I know there's a lot of prophecy guys that have been talking about this for quite some time now, but the reason why I want you to talk into this, because there's a difference between FedNow as an instant payment service, right? Because that seems to be the case here, as it says here, 
um, will transform the way everyday payments are made throughout the economy, bringing substantial gains to households and businesses through the availability to send instant payments at any time on any day without essentially without having to wait. So talk to us uh, your understanding of FedNow as well as the um, the IMF, which is the International Monetary Fund, unveiling this, what they call this new central bank digital currency um, called uh, the DCMA, Digital Currency Monetary Authority. They announced this UMU, so the UMU, whatever, UMU unit, Unicoin, I think, yeah, right there it's called Unicoin. Um, again, I think I showed you here that it acts as a digital currency, which is right down here. It says functions like a CBDC to enforce banking regulations. But what I want you to talk about is these two things, are they digital currencies? And like what I read right now, the IMF and the UMU, that says it functions like one, but it kind of seems to me that it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a digital currency. So talk to us about, okay, this is just an instant payment method, FedNow, versus the UMU being like a CBDC, because those seem different to me. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, you mentioned the prophecy teachers, and, and I, I want to know. I want to note that many, uh, many prophecy guys have good intentions. They're just trying to you know, understand scripture and help other people understand scripture. Uh, sadly, I, I've seen sometimes that they will in, they will kind of move into places where they don't have a lot of expertise, and then they might confuse people, and then maybe even scare people unnecessarily. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's happened here. Uh, so, like the Fed now, for example. Uh, this is actually, this is, this is kind of like a digital currency. It's almost like when the CBDC comes, when the digital dollar actually comes, it's really not going to be much different than what the Fed now system is. America has a very antiquated payment system. It's, if there's any kind of conspiracy at all, uh, the conspiracy theory would be around the un incredible amount of money that middlemen take through the payment system here in the United States. So we, we live in an, a very antiquated payment system where information moves at the speed of light, but money you know, moves at the snail's pace. If, yeah. I, wanted, if I wanted to send a, a, a briefcase of $1 million to London, it would be cheaper and quicker for me to get on a, get on a plane and fly the briefcase over to London and give it to the person I wanted to give it to versus going down to the bank and having them do it. It would take longer than, than my plane flight, and it would cost more than my plane flight. In other words, this is unacceptable whenever you have something like Bitcoin, where I can, I can send $1 million in Bitcoin from here to anybody in the world in 10 minutes for pennies, for pennies. Yeah. Okay, so, so in other words, this is what's happened, is that if you have the ability to do that with, with digital currencies, the banks are demanding Fed now because they're losing out on the ability to engage in these instant payments. These okay. banks want to be able to offer instant payments. So so the banks are demanding this and so and, and businesses are demanding the same thing. So the Fed now is a response from the Federal Reserve to the businesses who are who are demanding quicker payments. Uh, we have it in our ability to do it and and, and now now we're finally doing it. You're right. It's supposed to be you know implemented in July. 
Um, it's supposed to make the financial system more competitive. And, and, and I think overall, the Fed now system is going to be a big boon for financial institutions and businesses. Regarding the uh, UMU, uh, that is a project that is it is a it is a cryptocurrency, uh, but but what it but what it's doing is it's uh, it's a kind of an ambitious project that we don't really see uh, uh, catching on. In other words, what we what we more of what we see is our countries taking their existing fiat currencies and digitizing them. This is what we're going to see. This is what we're already seeing. So yeah. some of some of these other you know other plans t uh, tend to be a bit more ambitious. But you'll see a lot of these, a lot of times things like this UMU, they'll pop up and then they'll realize they're not catching on. So they'll just drop. So yeah. I, I have a feeling that this over here is one of these things. I think the digital dollar is going to be extremely uh, popular versus something like this. Yeah. Um, and I also I also want to say this to, to your audience. Sure. Um, we, we had talked about this off air, the importance of not being fearful. Yes. Uh, when it comes to these yep. things, what I would say in conclusion is that uh, this is my own personal belief. It may not be other people's beliefs. I just want to say this from my own heart. Sure. Is that I, I don't think that that anyone needs to fear uh, taking the mark of the beast by by using a digital currency. I, I don't think that I don't think that's what the Bible is talking about. Sure. Uh, personally, what I believe the Bible is talking about when it talks about a mark of a beast. You know, a mark that is that is taken. Uh, we have to remember where that's taken from. It's taken from Revelation, and Revelation is filled with a lot of visions. It's filled not with literal language, but you know, we don't we don't literally think a dragon is going to be spewing water out of his mouth. We we don't we don't th we don't think all of these things are actually going to happen the way that they occur. We believe that they're that John is seeing some sort of spiritual uh, vision of some earthly reality, but it's not the exact same thing that he's writing. It's something similar. It's a it's a picture. And so when, when, we, when we think about uh, marks on the hand or marks on the forehead, this is very Hebraic, uh, and, and it makes us think of who we belong to. So, you know, uh, uh, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's the type of currency that we transact in that, that makes us part of a beast system. Uh, I think it's who we belong to spiritually that makes us part of that. So I, 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 wanna, I would want to dispel... I, ideas that it's some sort of currency, specific currency, currency that you use that then you know causes you to go to hell or something like that. Instead of that, uh, realizing that it's much, much, much deeper than that. It has much more to do with your heart and your soul than some tangible currency or some intangible currency that you're using. So, mm -hmm. so what I would say is that the, the the best way to view all of this is that the government wants more power. Uh, that's yep. the way that they've always been. They, they've always wanted more power. Yep. And they're, tr they're trying to do all of this within the confines of a new technology that has them on their heels. So they're playing catch up. Uh, they're going to make mistakes along the way. And I think probably within the next 20 years, all of us will be using a digital form of our currencies, no matter what country we live in. And it will make things faster. It will make things more efficient. It will make things cheaper, but it will come at a cost in the fact that the, the government will have more power over the currency. That's not really something we want, but uh, there's an opt-out provision. Uh, if you don't want to be a part of that, you can always do something else. 
Uh, we've yeah. talked about Bitcoin. We've talked about other off ramps that people can take. Uh, and that's what's nice about it. It's not just a digital dollar. It's a digital dollar or Bitcoin, you know, or Ethereum yeah. or one of these many other uh, digital assets that are out there. So we yeah. have a choice. We have a choice. Yeah. Okay. So I'm only going to ask you one last question before I do. Um, I'm going to, you know, probably put my two cents in here. So um, the way I see Book of Revelation, right? Uh, there are some, there is some symbolism to the Book of Revelation. And I love the golden rule of biblical interpretation, which is if the if the text makes plain sense, seek no other sense, lest you come up with nonsense. So we know where in the book of Revelation it, there is um, some symbolism, and where it's meant to be literal, we take it literally, right? So for example, I believe the mark of the beast is going to be a literal mark of the beast. What is it going to look like? I don't know. I have no idea. I've oftentimes said, do I believe that we have the means and the technology to have something like that? Yes, 100%. But like you said too, using this form of currency does not mean that you're partaking of the beast system while we're still here on earth. And that's where I think um, we make the mistake in assuming, and this leads to my last question to you, because you got to go, and I want to make sure these are manageable uh, podcasts for people to see. Here's the last question that I'm going to leave you with. A lot of people think that um, this, and it is all about essentially and ultimately this is about control, but the groundwork has not been laid 100% yet for an entire global digital currency. I would love to get your take on where you see, again, I understand this is your opinion. I'm not holding your feet to the fire but I'd love to get your take from a financial aspect. It seems to me that a lot of the pipe work still has to be laid in order for there to be an entire global digital currency. And I'm talking technologically, I'm talking um, fiscally, I'm talking uh, politically, uh, on all levels. What is your opinion on that? Because some folks think, uh-oh, I'm scared, I'm anxious, this is going to happen next week, or now in July we got fed now, and boom, everything's toast. Mm. Why don't you speak into that, and then we'll close out. Um, yes, uh, I, I understand where, where you're coming from there. So what I would say on that front is you're absolutely correct. Um, from, from a real-life, real-world view, um, the idea of a global currency is further off than almost anything I can imagine. Uh, the, the reason why it's so far off is not because we don't have the tools. It's not because we don't have the techniques. Uh, it's because it would require others to come under others. And if, yeah. we, can, if we see anything at all, as you as you did well, you went through the fiscal problems, the you know the, the monetary issues, the geopolitical issues, and you start looking at every single one of these, you're going to discover that a global currency is 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 almost is almost incredibly difficult to imagine, uh, especially in Asia. But when you when you look at different areas, you'll discover that there's some some areas will be easier. Europe was a little bit easier to kind of have a yep. common currency. Uh, in the Americas, it's very, very difficult. In Asia, it's incredibly difficult. So having studied this for a long time, I can just simply tell you that my opinion is that the idea of a global currency being any kind of 
reality anytime soon. And I mean soon, like within, you know, our lifetimes. Yep. It, it's impossible for me to imagine what that would be. It would have to be something so drastic, so dramatic. And even that, I can't even imagine what that would be. So I can't even imagine what would cause that. Um, but at the same time, I'm of the opinion that you don't have to have a global currency per se to, to fulfill revelation. So in other words, I, I don't believe that you have to have a physical, tangible, global monetary system in order for revelation uh, to be fulfilled. So, so that, that's just, that's from my, not my, we could obviously do a much longer sure. discussion on Absolutely. that, but, uh, but, but that's what I would say. And I would say that I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not as concerned about the global currency, uh, as I am quite frankly, the U S having a digital currency. I think it's a little problematic that they're going to have this kind of level of control. And I think it is problematic, but as far as a, a global currency, it's, it, it's almost unimaginable how many things, how many dominoes would have to fall for that to actually become a reality. I mean, you're, you're dealing with people who can't even, they, they, they can't even, they have trade wars. I mean, United yeah. States and China are at each other's throat. We're talking about nuclear war. So, you know, the, the point is, is how, how, how are you going to get everybody to agree to follow your monetary rules? I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know how yeah. that would, how that would happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know what, at the end of the day, I'm glad that you said that one of I will say this one, the biggest concern I have is always control. So when they, when they enact any government of the world, in this case, we're talking about the U S when they enact a digital currency or some sort of digital ID, it's always a means like to me, AKA control, because as we've seen different administrations, there is always this push to control the masses. We see that. That's eventually what's going to happen on the flip side of the rapture leading into the tribulation as we see in the book of Revelation. We see it in the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel as well. It's this massive control. But I'm glad you did bring that up because it is problematic. But also, thank you so much for that wonderful answer because it does dispel stuff. Listen, there's a lot of, a lot of groundwork that still has to get laid in order for this entire global digital currency to become one unified digital currency. I mean, a lot of things have to fall in place, and it's not going to happen overnight. So, family, I want you guys to just um, don't be anxious. The Bible tells us, be anxious for nothing. And I think the Greek word nothing means nothing. And so uh, that's not rocket science, but um, it is. Anyways, and and, and right? Pablo, let me, let me just jump in and yeah, say, by all means, many people think we're living in, in times that are like the days of Noah. Well, wh what was Noah doing? Well, what were the people doing? Well, the people were very violent. The Bible says that the whole earth was filled with violence. Was Noah violent? We don't think so. It doesn't look, it doesn't appear that he was violent. And secondly, yeah. what was he doing? He was busy building something. So in other words, what, what uh, what I think the the listeners should be focused upon is, yeah, they see a lot of evil, you know, they see a lot of violence around them, they see a lot of problems around them, but what they can be doing is busy, uh, you know, preparing. They can be busy yeah. taking care of their family. They can be busy coming up with solutions for their financial house and getting it in order. I think that's yeah. the very best thing. A lot of people will spend a lot of time focused upon things they can't change and ignoring all the things they can. Uh, yeah. That's what I would encourage people not to do. Um, yeah. you know, d d don't allow the Bible to, to be your stumbling block from actually taking care of what you can take care of.
Yeah. And I think what you mean by that is we can get fixated on one thing and become yeah. so fearful about that one thing that, like I've said paralyzes. before, we, yeah, it paralyzes us. And I'll tell you, family, I've said this a million times, the, the thing we need to be doing above all things, because that's what the Lord called us to do, is to be sharing the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can. Obviously, your first ministry is to your wife if you are married or your husband. That's your first ministry here on earth. Obviously, number one priority is your relationship with the Lord. Number two is the relationship with your wife or your husband. Again, you know, whichever way that goes. And then uh, third, your kids. If you have children, that's your third relationship. And then work. But above all that, the Lord told us, go. It was a commandment. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So whether you're at your job whether you are with family, it doesn't matter where you're at. God will open doors for us to be able to share this hope that we have within us, the 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 salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. He'll open those doors, and God's going to hold us accountable to what you did with that message. Did you share it? Were you faithful with the talents that He gave you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ where He put you? So listen, uh, Jerry, man, this was great. I really, really enjoyed both parts. Uh, thanks for being patient, brother. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Pablo. Happy to do yeah, it anytime. Love, love to have you back. We're going to talk about different subjects. But family, again, I said in the first one, I say it all the time. I hope you guys were blessed, encouraged, and challenged. Remember, get into the Word of God. That's the most important thing, and get the Word of God into you. It's important we know the sword of the Spirit. we got to know the Word of God. Um, because this is the way that we don't become um, targets and victims of the devil's deceptions. Because there's a lot of deceptions happening around in part one. That's how you opened up your book. Family, get your if you can, get your hand on Jerry's book. I will link all of his websites below. And uh, Jerry, would you mind closing us out in prayer this time? Be honored. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time we've had to talk about so many different topics. Father, we thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. Father, the world may be in tumult right now. It may be facing all kinds of crises right now. And Father, those things may threaten to spill even into our worlds. But Father, I pray and, and thank you so much for the peace that passes all understanding. I pray for peace to permeate the homes and the hearts of every hearer today. Lord, let them come to see you as a good father, a good father who loves them, who cares for them, who has their eye upon them, and that who is constantly looking out for their good. Father, I thank you so much for that. We want to be good children of you. We want to follow your son, Jesus Christ, into eternity. Help us to know you better. Help us to know Jesus Christ better. And thank you so much for your people that are speaking your words, just like Pablo. Thank you for his faithfulness to speak your word today. And we give you praise and glory and honor in the precious and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That was a beautiful prayer, family. Listen, for those that don't know Jesus Christ, don't put it off. I implore you to call on the name of Jesus Christ to be saved, because there is no other name to which you can be saved, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, period. Jerry, I'm going to have you back. Lord bless you and everything that you do, man. This was a great, great time. I appreciate it big time. Thanks a million. We'll see you on the flip side. Thank you, sir.
You bet.